Hi there, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about Kasten and Kubernetes Cloud Native Data Management. It's my pleasure to be speaking with Michael Cade, Senior Technologist, Product Strategy with Veeam. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Tom. Pleased to be here. Michael, let's start here. With cloud migration, data management really has changed. But what about the challenges that enterprises face? Have they changed? I think in a nutshell, no. Um, really, things like accidental deletion, things like uh, malicious activity, ransomware attacks that we've heard nothing but in the, in the media over the last 12 months, nothing's changed. Um, yes, okay, the platform has changed dramatically from a, well, it's just different. It potentially can be deemed as a little bit more complex but that's just the way technology is. If you're if you're changing the way the the platform looks from a physical to virtual, that was also complexity. Um, but the underlying challenges are still the same from a data management point of view. I need to back up. I need to be ready from a recovery point of view when it comes to being able to get my application, my data back up and running. But yeah, I don't think there's a a distinct change apart from maybe the complexity. Michael, from your point of view, why has data management traditionally not received the attention that it really deserves? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I guess in the, I guess in the uh, the list of or the priority, which obviously I've been so I've been in the background uh, backup industry for for a while, and I'm all aware of how far down the list the the backup or data management sits, and it's generally alongside security. Which, when you think about it, how much of an impact that has on day-to-day -day business, i.e. not having a security strategy, not having a data management strategy, it it should ultimately be probably top of the list. But, well, the shiny things at the top, the platform, the infrastructure, the storage, the networking, it's all, it's all, all um, much, much more exciting and much more, um, I guess, rewarding as well. Because the thing with security... Well, that stops the bad actors getting in and, and affecting anything within your within your environment. So you only really know and need security after you've been hit. It's a bit like being a being a school kid on your bike. You can go as fast as you want until you fall off. And that's when you start thinking about how fast you go, right? Yeah. Um, but at the time it's really fun going as fast as you can. The um and the analogy there is that, well. From a backup point of view, you only really know you need backup when failure scenarios happen, when things like accidental deletion, we all do it, we've all deleted something, whether that's an email, whether that's a file. And then that same accidental deletion happens with databases. DBAs, they they do delete um, the, the databases. And also from a Kubernetes point of view, the one that I've seen this week, just this week, is namespace deletion, which try recovering from namespaces in a Kubernetes cluster. It's not a, it's not an easy thing. So I guess the answer is it shouldn't be, but it generally is. And I think that's the part where from a community perspective, that's what we're trying to raise is that we need to be thinking more about the data and how important that data is. And I think it is changing. There is a shift, but it's going to take a long time. And, and the ransomware stories, the everything that's going on is, is only highlighting the fact that this is needed. 
Michael, you brought Kubernetes into the conversation. With Kubernetes and cloud-native data management, this conversation expands beyond developers. It involves platform operations now. How do you see that as a real game changer? So I think the big thing around developers or DevOps is kind of where or why Kubernetes became or cloud-native or container orchestration became a thing to help developers or the culture of DevOps to deliver faster their applications to the business, whilst the operations team can focus on the underpinning hardware, the infrastructure, et cetera. But as we roll into like the five, six, seven year mark, this is where those operations people, the platform operators, the, the people that look after today, the virtualization environments, the ones that look after the physical systems, the potential that keeps the database server up and running in, up in the public cloud or even from an RDS or a PaaS point of view. These people are being forced into understanding more about the development side of the house because otherwise that's just another form of potential shadow IT and it'll be taken away from the, the platform or the infrastructure admins. So they have to have a, a good understand understanding of the Kubernetes platform so that they can understand how that application sits, how that works. And yeah, that, there's, there's this meet in the middle effect where we've been speaking to DevOps for quite a long time around data management. But, and, and granted, there was a lot, there was a time where developers would think that their database was the, the top of the storage layer when actually we know that underneath the infrastructure guys would be moving LUNs around, looking at raw disk, making sure that that's presented. And now we need to look and meet in the middle from a from a, a, an availability point of view. What they need to know a bit about the whole the whole point, the whole generalized infrastructure. Michael, what do you see as the potential power within cloud native technologies such as Kubernetes? To begin with, I think the I think the key part to Kubernetes or cloud native is, I think actually the, the power is bringing those developers and the operations teams together as one. And I come from more of the operations side, so I, I don't write code or I hack together code. So I'm not, I, can't call, I can't call myself a developer. But by bridging that gap, and I was on the operations side where an application would get thrown over the fence to me from an operations point of view, and I would have to then make it fit, make it work for the business. And I'd be the one with the, the pager um, or the at least the alarm going off over the weekend at two o'clock in the morning if the application went down, not the developer who's in his nice um, in his nice house with uh, just he's, he's done the hard work and then he's thrown it over the fence. So I think actually the power is, well, let's, all understand a bit about everyone's job and role in here. Let's understand what the business objective is, the application objective, and let's piece together the development angle and how, how that should be to help the company or help the business. But then all from an operations point of view, if they understand what the application needs to look like, well, they can put it in the best possible place for that. So I think that's important um, and probably the biggest game changer or at least the potential power of that. But also, 
the benefit of Kubernetes is how portable Kubernetes is as a platform. So if you're running, like we've got lots of managed service Kubernetes out there, let's name it like the major public clouds, the Microsoft AKS, AWS EKS, uh, GKE from Google, all of those different options are, are very much out there as well as the on-premises, the VMware, Tanzu's, the, the Red Hat OpenShifts, et cetera. But the key benefit to Kubernetes on all of these platforms is that if I run today on OpenShift, I can move or the potential to move that workload into AKS, EKS, GKE, and then back again and scale that accordingly is, is there. It's, it's, that's one of the cornerstones of Kubernetes as a platform. Yes, we could do that in a way to virtualization, but you had to have VMware, another abstraction layer over in different areas. Plus you were talking about gigs of data for the virtual machine to be moved. And Veeam's been doing this for a while about moving workloads from here, there, and everywhere, being able to recover workloads here, there, and everywhere as well. But when you start talking about container orchestration, now you're talking about megs of data and then potentially the state of that data is already replicated to a secondary location and could be pretty much hooked into wherever that needs to be. So that portability message becomes a lot more clearer and easier to, to achieve as well. I mentioned Kasten up front, and I know Veeam recently acquired Kasten and its K10 data management platform. What are some of the best practices that this solution addresses? From a best practice point of view, I think the first and foremost is that there's a common theme amongst probably half or, or maybe less than half now around stateless versus stateful and that Kubernetes is only good for stateless workloads. Think about your web server, your, your front end website for your business. Great candidate for Kubernetes is that we can scale up, we can scale down, we can um, scale up when it's important to the business i.e peak times we can scale back when it's not so busy maybe at three o'clock in the morning depending on the company that you are but actually over the over more recent months maybe even the last year and a bit is that we've seen a huge adoption around stateful workloads so now think about the databases that the the uh the storage in which you which you store the the content of your online store, the database where you, you store that inf the important information. So think about NoSQL type databases, SQL databases, uh, batch processing, messaging queues, all of them, the reason why we're doing and using these, these applications or these, these workloads is because they have some state. Think about login. We wanna be able to go back to that and use that data. So I think the architecture is one of the first and foremost from a from a best practice point of view, making sure that the architecture is designed for what you want to achieve. There's a lot of companies out there that are using Kubernetes just for stateless workloads, as I mentioned, around web servers. But there's equally, if not more, companies now adopting that stateful set, that the ability to run their databases alongside their web servers so that everything's close together within the Kubernetes cluster. I think then we need to look at so backup is always bottom of the list, like we mentioned, Tom. But um, the, 
I think the key part to the best practice is not really about the backup. The backup should be relatively easy, although it should be fit for purpose for the for the platform that you're running in. And to kind of go back in time and talk a bit about Veeam before we get into the Casting K10 platform, from a Veeam point of view, born out of the virtualization days, Veeam was very much the first vendor to adopt the ability to leverage the APIs of the underlying hypervisor, namely VMware, arguably won the virtualization war or battle, but then alongside things like Microsoft Hyper-V, Nutanix HV, et cetera, which Veeam obviously have a play there as well. But what they did different is that in that transition period between physical and virtual, a lot of companies, legacy backup vendors, took their agent-based approach that we use today with physical machines, because that is the only way to be able to protect those workloads. And they just took that agent and started protecting their virtual machines with that agent and disregarded that there was now an overhead. You had to manage those agents for all of your potentially thousands of VMs, versioning, et cetera, all of the added overhead to that. Whereas when Veeam came in and they snuck into the hypervisor to be able to take those backups, it was then best of breed. And we saw our market share go like double digit growth in terms of what we've done over the last 13 years. And I think we're in a, a very similar inflection point around Kubernetes and cloud native in that Casting K10 has done exactly that for Kubernetes. So it sits with inside the same cluster. It leverages the same orchestrator, orchestrator APIs. It lives and breathes the same Kubernetes languages that you do with your applications. So what we mean by that is that one, there's no overhead to be able to protect that workload. And that's the difference between using a virtualization tool such as Veeam Backup Replication. We could potentially back up some of that workload, some of that data, but it's not going to be as easy to recover. And that comes to my second best practice is you have to think about that recoverability. We have to think about what do we need to recover how quickly do we need to recover? How granular it needs to be? If we're talking about databases, we also need to think about consistency. We can't just take a, a chop of the, the database. We need to think about how we have a consistent copy of that, that data, either from a snapshot point of view for a really fast recovery point, but then also a copy of that data in object storage or NFS to have that off-site copy of that data to recover from. So I've emphasized that quite a bit around recoverability. But then I think also on, the, on this best practice list would be things around operations. It has to live and breathe that same workflow that you have day in, day out in terms of being able to manage and look after this Kubernetes cluster. One of the key characteristics of Kubernetes is that things will spin up, spin down, disappear, go away, they'll change, they get updated, etc. Well, I need my backup tool to be able to work in that same fashion. I need that if a namespace a namespace might be the only constant in your cluster, I need that I need to make sure that the pods that are potentially being spun up on an hourly basis and being let go again after another hour and they're constantly evolving and adapting. I need to make sure that my backup product is able to keep up with those operations and still be able to take those 
take those um, backups as well. And then we've got, we bring in the other one that I mentioned at the top, Tom, around security. So how can we make sure that not only are we living and breathing the same, I think people call it eating their own dog food, i.e. Um, using using Drinking their own champagne is what we prefer, Michael. Drinking there their own go. champagne. I can get behind that. Or, or drinking their own beer when you've made it, something like that. But, but I think champagne sounds sounds much more uh, eloquent. Uh, uh, so, from a security point of view, because you're living and breathing that same that same infrastructure API within Kubernetes, then we start to think about right, how do we leverage the same security models from a Kubernetes cluster point of view? So, how do we use RBAC? How do we then have an open policy um, API as well? How do we make sure that we tie into the same security policies that your application does. So that's another best practice that we would consider for protecting your, your workloads. And then finally, again, we already touched on this, was around portability. So we mentioned around Kubernetes giving you the platform that you can run your application here, there, or anywhere. But what about being able to recover here, there, or anywhere? And that's the important part. And obviously that comes with the platform. But when you start talking about stateful workloads, again, we touched on this earlier, is that you're now talking about some stateful workloads. You're talking about the database, for example, and different clouds, different Kubernetes platform have different storage classes. They have different storage requirements, different storage needs. So something around portability is being able to recover a backup or an export. An export is something that we're storing offsite in an object storage location being able to store that in a offsite location and being able to recover that into any location with the, the ability to then transform that. So if your storage class, for example, is called, EB, you're using EBS in AWS and you want that to go to Azure storage, you can make that change as part of the recovery policy and plan so that you can get that data and get that workload up and running in Azure, which then leads us to things like disaster recovery, starting to think about, having an offsite copy, but not just that. Think about test and dev. How do we, how do we streamline our test and development? Now, we've done a, a, another thing that Kubernetes really lends itself to is the ability to spin up environments, spin up test and dev type environments very fast. Why not leverage that backup data to be able to provide a copy of that workload from a specific point in time and then glean information from that, glean insights out of that. I think that's a long-winded five best practices, Tom, but hopefully that all makes, makes sense. <laughs> Michael, we've covered a lot here. If you were to sum things up quickly, how would you want people to leave people with a notion of how Veeam is helping customers get the most out of cloud-native technologies and data management? So I think the first and foremost is make sure that it's a consideration on that list. It's all great going to a shiny Kubernetes or a cloud native workflow. And you're probably going to be looking at your CI CD pipelines. You're going to be looking at all the software that goes alongside that. You're going to be, you're going to be absolutely concentrating on your, your mission critical applications, because at the end of the day, that's what brings you the, the quickest return from a money point of view, a financial point of view, but also the only the biggest ask I would ask, and it doesn't matter really whether it's Kubernetes, VMware, physical cloud, is think about those constant challenges. Ransomware is very topical at the moment. It's in the news. 
ransomware is still very applicable in a Kubernetes environment. We saw one at the very beginning of 2021 where it focused on attacking Kubernetes clusters and taking them over to mine cryptocurrency for one. And obviously we've heard a lot more around other other areas of ransomware against different platforms. These things happen. It's inevitable. In fact, I think it's the best way to think about these things is that it's inevitable that you're going to get attacked. And that's why you should consider security and data management. But also just think about how how important that data is to you and your business. Like what, what, what would happen if you didn't have access to that data for eight hours, 16 hours, two days, five days? Like start running through the, the possibilities, especially if you're an infrastructure admin and you start to get a clear picture of if things are down for that amount of time and you can't recover quickly because you thought that Kubernetes had you covered with HA and replica sets within within the, the, the environment. And they're great and they'll keep things up and running, but different failure scenarios require different restore capabilities and, and recover, recoverability. Um, I think just, and this is this is an option as well, because this is still a relatively new platform. This gives us the ability to potentially rewrite the the data management list and not have it so far down the list, as well as security and and observability monitoring, et cetera. So I think that'd be my my key takeaways, Tom. Well said, Michael. Appreciate your time and insight today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tom. Again, we've been talking about cloud native data management. You just heard from Michael Cade, Senior Technologist, Product Strategy with Veeam. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you so much for your time and attention today.